This is part three, and Lord willing, we'll finish this up tonight for this first uh, session, first lesson. Ephesians chapter four, this has been the idea uh, of this passage of scripture that we've been looking at uh, and for this uh, series. Ephesians chapter four, verse 17, it says, this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Let's go to the Lord and ask for his blessing upon this evening and upon this portion of his word as we look at the idea of created for his glory uh, as well as understanding what it is that God's called us to do as a believer in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come to your word tonight, Father, I'm asking you that I need your help. Lord, you take control of my thoughts and the words that are spoken, so that, Father, I may do so in a way that is understandable, precise and accurate to your word. Father, I, I do need your help. And so, Lord, I ask you to do only what you can. For those who may be watching, Father, I pray that you would encourage hearts and comfort. And Lord, we'll thank and we'll praise you for all that you've done. Thank you for the beautiful day and the sunshine that was out today. Thank you for our lives and our health. And so, Lord, you are so worthy. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. As we look tonight, as we have been looking, <clears throat> despair is seen in a midlife crisis. Midlife crisis, the idea that uh, mediocre Christianity isn't supposed to work. And, and I'll talk further about that. But the flower children of the 60s, and we spoke about this last week. Thank you. As we, uh, thank you, dear. Uh, the flower children of the 60s, what they realized is they began to look at their parents, uh, began to look at the ages and understanding that they sang songs, they were on these psychedelic trips with drugs, and uh, they just testified of, of, of a great despair, pointlessness to life. What is this all about? Uh, objective truth doesn't exist. Uh, everything is relative. What's relative to you, it's relative to you, and so on and so forth. And it just put this worldview completely at odds with God. It was a self-absorbed thinking that led, if people, as people followed this line of thinking and this philosophy of life, this worldview, it led to greater and greater emptiness, moral destruction, social decline, uh, and even produced you know, this whole idea of the hippie movement of the 60s. But what was one thing that was epidemic was despair. And so as we think about this, and this is where we left off last week, and despair is seen in extreme everything. Uh, there are extreme sports. There's the X Games. There's uh, now in the Olympics. There's new things there that are more extreme. Uh, there are all sorts of extreme shows out there. I mean, they're all on these virtual or these uh, television programs that try to replicate life. Uh, living together. What's this scenario look like? What's this scenario? And so it's all of these things that are, be, but as we see all of this, despair is becoming ever more uh, prevalent. Drug therapies are becoming uh, and in seeing an incredible rise. Television programs, reality television, 
everything is aimed at extreme. Extreme sports, as I have mentioned. Extreme, you fill in the blank. Uh, and what people are doing is they're pushing their bodies, they're pushing their minds into an experience, a rush. But, or sometimes people may, av- may even go so far into immoral exploits in an extreme fashion seeking for that hidden pleasure. They're seeking for a satisfaction in their soul. Sometimes they may even jump out of their marriage covenant with their spouse because inside their souls they're dead. In the year 2000, an illustration of this, there was this individual who had a midlife crisis. This gentleman, Ted, not his real name, he had accomplished everything he had set out to do. He was a star teacher in a large public school. Uh, He was fired when he announced to his students that he was coming out and uh, he was born the wrong gender. He would go through a sex change operation and in this individual, Ted, now renamed Tricia, not the real name again, but uh, he would go through a surgery to try to change himself. Now, uh, as sometimes it has been oftentimes referred to as individuals that end up going through with these uh, surgeries, they, people refer to them uh, as it. That would not be an appropriate fashion and that definitely does not show the love of Christ toward them. Now, <clears throat> they are confused and they're seeking for something and this one individual that was going forward with this, they had been involved in racing motorcycles, they had been involved in climbing mountains, rafting, white water, uh, you name it, there was adventure and experience in this gentleman's life. Been at the point of suicide several times. He said, I buried myself in trying to be a success, but it just wasn't enough. He was depressed and he knew something was wrong, so he goes to to therapy, and in therapy, the the therapist lets him know, you're born the the wrong gender. So he's excited about this potential solution to the deadness within. As he understands the deadness of this of his way of life, he goes through as a trailblazer in this very ungodly transition. But the problem was, he thought he had isolated the problem and had solved it. But unfortunately, the despair will set in again. As he comes to grips with this is not providing the hope and the joy that I thought it was going to bring. The world is ever looking for solutions to despair. As we go through this, extreme drug therapies, entertainment content, extreme sports, physical intimacy. But in Ezekiel 16.49, we here in the Western civilization, and in first world countries, Ezekiel 16.49, behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness was in her. And in her daughters needed that she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. That there in Sodom they had a tremendous wealth, They had everything they needed and an abundance of idleness. They went into hobbies and everything else in life. They abandoned God and they didn't have enough to satisfy. 
Some, as Ted, may go to the point, later on, others might have come, been like Ted, go, come to the point of suicide. They want to be true to themselves. Life is no longer worth living and, uh, because people are still rejecting me. And it could be this very way for this person, Ted. Thinking that I've now made the transition and people are going to accept me because I accept me for who I think I am by some very perverted therapists. Now, society gets blamed for being homophobic or unloving. But the reason in Ted's life for the despair is the emptiness. It is not due to a rejection by those who would be in a relationship between a man and a woman. By those who would reject homosexuality. Now, there are Christians that, under, that can be very harsh and rude to this lifestyle. I'm not saying we ever accept it, because that's unbiblical. But we have to understand that people are in a way of life, some of them are deceived, some of them willfully enter into it, Romans chapter 1, because they deny God. A number of them, I've, as uh, Pastor Buker was here not long ago. I was having a conversation with him, uh, and he led a young man who was in a homosexual relationship, he led him to the Lord, and the man left his lifestyle, and he got gloriously saved, but he didn't get saved until he was on his deathbed dying with AIDS. His partner had been in church as a child and knew better and vehemently resisted God. And the man who had passed away with whom Brother Buchert led to the Lord had a dad who again was also in... Now, this, his dad was a... It was this <laughs> ungodly relationship. It was two men raising a child, which is totally ungodly. But this young man, all he knew was a lifestyle of ungodliness, and that was his normal but when he began to experience, and he was told, don't ever touch the Bible because it is a wicked book. When he got into the Word of God, one time, Brother Buchert, his note New Testament was left there, and this man began to read it. He realized, he said, oh my. And he spent a week with Brother Buchert over in Nanaimo, B.C., and he just gave him, and the man just like, whoa, I've never seen these truths. And there on his deathbed, he said, you send Brother Buchert, I'm not going to live longer, and he accepted Christ. The friends, as we think about this, our world is in despair because the problem is we have a religious concept. But uh, so many Christians have a knowledge of God that is too shallow. That many don't have hope or peace, just like that of Ted. And people will go to the grave defending their salvation, yet they go to the grave with little enjoyment or little of, of the peace of God. They don't have much light of God in their lives. Their life feels empty. They feel cheated. They feel betrayed by God. Christianity hasn't delivered what they thought they, it was going to deliver. A.W. Tozer, he puts his finger on the problem when he says... The difference between a great Christian life and any other kind lies in the quality of our religious concepts. Our religious concept is our knowledge of God and His ways. 
they are just too shallow. We don't know God. As the Apostle Paul here in Ephesians 1 would talk about dwelling in the heavenlies. Some may be familiar with the major responsibilities, but we're not at home in the heavenlies of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have an inheritance, as you would find in verse 11. We find in verse 3 of Ephesians 1, blessed be, God, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. The wealth of the believer is in the heavenlies. These chapters, 1 through 3, are packed with the person and the work of Jesus Christ, the center of the universe. There's commands of the walk and the warfare of the believer that we get in verse, chapters 4 through 6. John Bunyan was inspired to write the Pilgrim's Progress about it after his study of the book of Ephesians. Some, one person has called Ephesians the God's handbook of the universe. This book is written to the church of Ephesus, first century Christians that are saved out of paganism. They are coming out of pagan worship to which God penned, God had the letter authored to write to the church of Ephesus to let them know for those who are worshiping the goddess Diana, which was unbelievably immoral. And many there in the church were slaves. And here, the letter that is written to them by God's inspiration. God would mold these believers to be commended by Jesus Christ for their works and labor. They had no time for false teachers. They did not faint when the fires of persecution would come upon them. They spent time in the heavenlies understanding the riches they had in Jesus Christ. But they did not faint. What you don't see can hurt you, but what you could see will amaze you. And I want to, what we're going to look at here in the forthcoming lessons as we look at this is I can rejoice in the grand reality of God. Spiritual blessings that we have in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What do I have as the promises and blessings of God? We're going to look at that as we come through kind of an idea of looking through the book of Ephesians. And these minds at Paul, there's trouble in the Ephesians' minds. And yet, they get to experience the grand reality of God. How do the overarching truths about God, how does it impact me in my daily life? How is it to impact me in my daily life? And we'll look at that. Lastly, in part three, we'll display the grand reality of God. And um, of this, as we walk worthy of the Lord in the second part, experiencing it, but the verse 3, that we will see that the fear of God is the energizing and guiding force for our life. As I exist in the fear of God, I was talking with someone re recently, and uh, they had mentioned that, uh, you know, um, a, a particular sermon they heard 
They said, it made me afraid. This is a person that doesn't attend church much. But they said, it made me afraid. Because I realized this particular action in my life is not right with God. But the burden as we look at this is that we would, number one, as we look at this study of created for His glory, it would be prescriptive in the fact that it would let us know as a church the problems that are existing. You know, as a, as a prescription, if you go to the doctor and you say, hey, these are some problems in my life, he'll say, here is your prescription drug to help deal with whatever the ailment is. And God has given us the prescription of, of this as we understand of how to fix it through his word. The second thing that we'll look at, kind of a two-fold idea in the study here, is that it would be a polemic, or it would be a denunciation, or a calling down of the fact that we as believers can withstand the storms that come the way, our way in life. And we can stand strong as we encounter opposition. The truths that are here in the book of Ephesians are not some highfalutin, highbrow type truths. No, it's for everyday life. But there are dangerous days here. The freedoms to live... And proclaim the faith of the Bible are under vicious tax today. And many are not ready to give an answer of the hope within them, the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. Within Christianity, by and large, so many churches, so many believers, professing believers, are adopting an inclusivism. And by this, they're this idea of post-Christian, a pluralistic culture that we begin to become, well, that's your view, this is my view, inclusive. Well, you know, we'll all, as long as we all have a faith in God. Well, how do you get your faith in God? How did it start? How does it end? What does God require? You know, live however you want. God's called us to holiness, this inclusivism that Again, all these ideas are all acceptable before God. We're, God's not pluralistic. And there are perilous days and perilous times in the last days that we are entering into. And so it is time to leave the tourist mode of Christianity and put ourselves into warfare mode. We are to understand we live in a spiritual battle. It's warfare mode. We need to be on the alert as a soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ, understanding, I like what verse 12, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. We should be to the praise of his glory. As a soldier, their objective, their mission is to fulfill what their commander tells them to do. And so many times we treat our Christianity as though it's like a, a casual pickup game of hockey or some sort of thing. I can go to the game when I want or I can't. But I don't understand that the bombs and the assaults and the trials and the stumbling blocks and the warfare, I mean the mental warfare that Satan does, uh, and, all, and plus our own flesh that fights against us, this idea that... We are just, we can pick and choose what we ought to do for the Lord. 
But as our days get darker here on earth, our vision of the heavenlies must become clearer. We must see things that aren't, we aren't presently seeing. And so as we go through this, there's going to be a few questions as we go further into this. But we need to ask the Lord that we could just see the grand reality of God. Father, just reveal yourself. I remember one time as I was reading through the scriptures, I said, God, as I read through the Bible this time, would you reveal your character to me? And I began to go as I read through the Bible that one time, that one particular time, that I began to see some things of the character of God I'd never seen before. And we need to say, God, illuminate my eyes, spiritually and physically, that I can see you better, so that I can see the unseen. Now here's some things to reflect on. Since the Holy Spirit has revealed what God is like in the Bible, how regularly are you studying the Word of God and looking for God in the Scriptures? As you study it, are you looking to understand God better? Let's look at Matthew 5, 8. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. As you think about this idea of the pure in heart, as churches, as again, they adopt inclusivism, we can include this. Oh, that's not so bad. We'll include that. Oh, that's not too bad. We'll include that. And Oh, your view isn't, I don't quite agree with it, but it's acceptable. And we'll just keep adding. We lose the purity of heart and we lose the sight and the vision of who God is. We lose sight. God has called us to be pure in heart. But how diligent are we about staying in fellowship with God and not allowing sin to pollute our relationship with him? Going forth, as we study, are we praying specifically for God to illuminate our heart? As we come to the time of our devotions with God, as we come to the time of meditating on his word, are we asking God daily, please illuminate my heart. God, please show me from your word what you want me to see today. Because as I ask God, you have not because you ask not, I need to ask God, illuminate, open my eyes to see the truths you want me to see from your word. I like this question. As you teach your children, disciples, or those to whom you may be ministering, am I praying specifically for God to illuminate their hearts? And that's a good question, and that's something I need to practice and implement. I haven't thought about that before, but that's a good question. Lord, help me as I teach our daughter, that she would see the truths of who you are. Number five, when is the last time God truly illuminated your heart to something about himself in the word, and you relish the truth because God opened your eyes? When was the last time you're reading the word of God and you got excited because you had never seen something that you had saw, the truth or a principle that God showed you from his word. I mean, you just got excited. You're like, wow, I never saw that. But how could I? I mean, I've read the Bible, but I've never seen that before. When was the last time that happened? 
What was the truth that God gave to you that illuminated, that brought light into your life? The more light of God and the more God illuminates in our lives, the more I can reveal his light to the world. As God's word penetrates and it illuminates my dark, my dark life. It's his word, the light. Now, as we talk about sorrow and despair, sorrow is the taste of death that permeates everything upon a fallen planet. Now, it is the emotion of loss. Sorrow is like, you know, if you have a loved one that passes away, there's a loss. Uh, if there's some important thing in your life that is missing, then there's sorrow. It is the echo within our hearts that we were made for something better. Let's look at uh, Romans chapter 8. Ro uh, the Apostle Paul, he tells us in Romans chapter 8 that sorrow, groaning, travail is for everyone on earth has that. We live in a sin-cursed world. In Romans chapter 8, verse 22. Romans chapter 8, verse 22. And I'll talk about despair here in a second. It is up there on the screen, but... Romans chapter 8, verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. I mean, the world groans, it aches, and it travails. Like it just continues to persist in pain. Verse 23, and not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. What's he talking about? Not only does creation groan, I mean, but we as believers who know Jesus Christ, who have the Spirit of God dwelling within us, our spirit is alive to God, we groan. I mean, I can't wait for the day that this body, I mean, I have a new body in heaven. I can't wait for the day that I'm whole. There's no more sin, no more sorrow. I mean, I, I long for that day. That I am whole. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 4, another passage of scripture here. And as we think about this, what he's telling us there in Romans 8, he says, listen, sorrow is a natural thing of life. We live in a world afflicted by sin. Everyone sorrows. But it's what you do with that sorrow that determines the light and determines your effectiveness for God in spite of the sorrow. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 4, for we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened. He's saying, you know, <laughs> our temporary bodies, we groan. I mean, the older we get, our bodies just ache. Being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality, meaning that we're, we're mortal, right? We die. Might be swallowed up of life. I mean, I look forward to the day and I imagine you do as well. When I can see Jesus face to face. 
When we lose a loved one, when we lose a, a cherished possession or a cherished opportunity, when we lose physical capabilities because of disease or just aging, there's an emotion of sorrow. There's a legitimate pain of the soul, a grief. If you, if you lose a child or you lose something else, there's, there's, a, there's a numbing that happens in our life because of sorrow. But how do I deal with sorrow? This is the part. Sorrow is natural to everyone because we have sin. But despair is the choice I make of what I do with that sorrow. Some may numb their sorrow with medications, accomplishments, dependent relationships. I have to have this person. If this person is my life, my whole world falls apart. Or incessant activities. I've got to do this, I've got to do this, I've got to do this. And what we do with our sorrow so many times is we look to a world that is perishing and turn our faces from a God who never perishes. Sorrow wells up when we think about the loss. As we begin to meditate upon the sorrow of whatever the situation was, and we just we begin to focus and focus and focus, but what we've got to do is I've got to embrace the eternally satisfying reality of a fellowship with Jesus Christ. Look, look with me in Matthew 26. I mean, Jesus Christ, even in the garden, there was a sorrow he encountered. Matthew 26, 37. Now, just because you experience sorrow does not mean you're in sin. Just because you, your body groans does not mean... We, if you lose a loved one, that's not sinful to cry. It's not sinful if for, few, for months you're crying and you're struggling to deal with the situation. That's not sinful. Matthew 26, 37. Jesus here in the Garden of Gethsemane, he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. He contemplates a loss of fellowship with the Father to become the sacrificial lamb for the world. Jesus is not depressed here. He's not even despairing, but he's thinking about what is coming. Now, depression and despair are accompanied by hopelessness, disinterest, and often self-pity. Jesus is experiencing sorrow, a loss that comes as a result of an awareness that things aren't the way they were intended to be from the beginning. He's weeping because his original intent as he created creation was that man would stay in constant fellowship with him. Now he is coming to correct what man had polluted. It's not a sinful emotion to sorrow. I mean, it's a legitimate emotion if we live in this world, it reflects our life on this planet. Its heaviness grows as we think about the true nature of things in a fallen world. Those things that we may never seem to think about. Some, the weight of that sorrow becomes too heavy to bear. 
Here's what despair is. When sorrow is laced with self-pity, when the thoughts are turned inward in wound-licking or turned outward in finger-pointing, I'm this way because of you. You did this to me. This is the way I am why I am. Sorrow begins, becomes corrupted with the poison of the flesh. When sorrow is laced with self-pity, I'm hurt and I'll never get over it. And the truth is, when I don't come to God with my sorrow, when I don't seek God in my sorrow, then God's intention for us is to despair. God understands we live in a sin-cursed world. We live in an evil world, a wicked world. But God's intent is that we should sense our poverty of soul, our incompleteness, our dissatisfaction when I am not in a dependent relationship with him. The turning towards God in dependence is the secret of how you and I can joyfully and peacefully live with himself and others on this wicked planet. It's faith, the gaze of a soul upon a saving God. It confesses its own incompleteness and its neediness. And we don't like that. That I need someone more than I need myself. That I'm not my own solution. That I'm in, somehow I'm incomplete and, and I, I can't find the strength within. God says, exactly. Because you were made as a puzzle piece to be connected with me. As a puzzle piece, by yourself, you're incomplete. Your completeness is as you're connected to me as the fountain of joy and peace. This is why turning to any part of creation, which itself is tainted with death, rather than to the creator himself, who is the essence of life, is such folly. I love this statement that the author makes. He says, you cannot wash the taste of death out of your mouth by gargling with water also tainted by the same death. We go to the world to find relief from the despair that I feel. And what he just said here is I can't if the world is despairing and the world's in sorrow, why would I go to the world who's despairing and in sorrow to find happiness and joy? I can't do it. And so God is telling us, the world will never satisfy you and complete you because it's the wrong puzzle piece. It doesn't complete the puzzle. You and God myself and God, that completes the puzzle. In a taste of death, it should be clear that people experiencing despair are tasting the results of living on a fallen planet without the life-giving satisfaction of the thirst quencher himself. Much like I had spoken about on Sunday of the idea of Jesus Christ as the living water. When man, distanced, when man fell, when Adam and Eve sinned, they distanced themselves from God. They distanced themselves from the one who was the source of their satisfaction and delight. 
and it drew them into darkness and shame. And the result is that man looks to the creation, not the creator, to find enjoyment. There is within our hearts this natural inclination, this natural tendency to want to find satisfaction in the things of this world, the hobbies, the jobs, the women, men, whatever. And with Eve's childbearing came sorrow, taste of death. With Adam came increased labor on the fields that he was to work. Sorrow could only be neutralized and overcome by a willing submission and a continual submission to God himself, the creator. And the solution that God wants us to understand is to look to God in our sorrow and realize what he's saying. Realize, I don't have the strength. I am completely dependent. I am completely in need of him. The result for a child of God who is deeply dependent on him is that we can experience joy and peace in a despairing world. This is the very thing that Peter exclaims as he pens the letter of 1 Peter under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, God's Word. Look with me, 1 Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1. We'll read verse 3 because uh, it will tie in with here. Verse 3 and 6 of 1 Peter. 1 2 Peter, 1 2 3 John, Jude, Revelation. So right near the end of the Bible. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed, and, and note this, First Peter is written to Christians who are scattered all around because they've stood up for Jesus Christ and they're being persecuted, so they're running for their lives and they're scared. Okay, so they've tasted death. Like, um, you know, if I go back there, I'm dead man. Okay, so they're, they're legitimately afraid. Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a, what? Lively hope. Why and how? By the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Keep your mind on the heavenlies who are kept by the power of God through faith and salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. God's power keeps me. I, I, I can't lose this because it's God's power that keeps me. Verse 6, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. He says, listen, you can still greatly rejoice. I realize you're scattered throughout. As you look at verse 1, it tells us the areas they're scattered. But he says, listen, number one, your inheritance, it's secure. You have an inheritance that will not corrupt. You have a retirement that will never change. 
your place in heaven, you've already got a reservation through Jesus Christ. You can rejoice in the sorrow of this world. You can rejoice in the manifold temptations, the manifold trials you go through. You have cause for to rejoice as you are connected with the Creator. The Apostle Paul, look with me here, 2 Corinthians 4, he says very similar things. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. Second Corinthians four seventeen. <clears throat> for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are, what does it say, temporal. You know, everything we see here on earth, it's going to perish someday. I mean, I don't care how well built something is, it's, it will perish someday. And if man thinks it won't perish, like, hey, the Titanic will never sink, God makes sure to help man understand that things, everything perishes. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. It is the view of the things which are not seen that is the heart of our study and the word of God is telling us to scan the heavenlies and behold the glories of our God. He says, you may take the apostle Paul who's bound in prison, but your heart can soar in the heavenlies because your inheritance in heaven is secure. You can be in the Mamertine dungeon. You can be under house arrest. You can be in all sorts of situations of life, but understand this, no matter the bondage in this life, your spirit can soar up to the heavenlies of God, and no one can stop you from doing that. We are not created to live in darkness to the boast of Satan but to drink of God's fullness and spread the word that he is sufficient. It should be clear that people experiencing despair are tasting the results of living on a fallen planet without the life-giving satisfaction of the thirst quencher himself. I mean, this just gets me excited. Christian, this world, we're just passing through. It's only temporary. No matter what you go through, wherever you're at, whatever you're experiencing, it's only for a dash in our life. You were born, your body will die, that's it. But after you die, there's eternity forever and ever and ever. And I will be, and you will be, if you know Jesus Christ, in the perfect presence of a God who will never reject me. Fully satisfied, 
forever connected to life himself. Isn't that amazing? And as we begin to begin to put ourselves and to, and to realize as we take the word of God, I realize I might be in a mud puddle in my thinking. God says, get up from the mud. I want to show you the cleanliness and the purity of heaven. I don't know what you're going through tonight, but I do know this. That as I come before God, I need to stop gargling of the water, the polluted waters of this world, and start being refreshed by the living water himself. It's a choice of the heart. It's a choice of the mind. What are you going to do? I mean, that's why when the Word of God tells us created for His glory, that is an amazing statement. That is telling you there is life and joy and peace no matter what you go through. Because the source isn't you, you're connected to the puzzle piece, God himself, from which all power derives. And when you're dependent upon him, and let go of yourself being control, and begin to relish and understand the riches of God, man, you can stay encouraged. That's a wonderful thought. As we come to the time of invitation this evening, I just want to challenge you I, I don't know what, what you're going through, what you have gone through. But I do know this. If you're despairing, isn't it long enough you've despaired? Isn't it long enough you've felt the pain? Why don't I get to see what God says? Why don't I relish the heavenlies and the hope set before me? the incorruptible inheritance. And thank God that I have full access to the very truths and promises He wants to give us. May we not make the choice to stay in despair, but to rise up through the Word of God and live in the heavenlies and go through this life and be all we can for God's glory. Heads bowed and eyes closed this evening. When you're done praying, look up. We'll conclude in prayer and then we'll come to our prayer time. My friend, God's splendor is far beyond the beauty we could see on this earth. May we relish and live in those truths. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you. And uh, Father, I thank you. Lord, this just <laughs> greatly encourages my heart. Father, this, everything of this world is only temporary. Even if it lasts hundreds of years, it's still temporary. But Father, you're eternal. 
your truths, they're eternal. And Father, may I look past the sorrows. Sorrow is natural for all of us. And Lord, when we do have those situations that are very hurtful and painful, may I bring it to the cross. Lord, may I bring it before your throne and receive the refreshment and joy that only you can give. Lord, may we abound in understanding of your greatness. Father, I love you and I thank you for these truths. If there's anyone watching this evening that is not saved, God, please, I beg of you, may they settle where they're going to spend eternity because, Father, to live for the temporary is to live for hell eternally. And Father, I pray that it, those who are watching would res, reject the temporary for the eternal forgiveness of a loving Savior. Father, for those of us believe, as believers, may we look to your word and be refreshed and satisfied as we stay connected to thyself. I love you. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen.